Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Okay, so here's the thing. If you're new here, I'm sorry, the usual pastor. He needed a vacation, so he took a vacation, and so he asked me to speak in his place. My name is Tony Johnson. Uh, I'm not the average normal pastor that speaks here. He's much better than I am and probably better looking, and he has a cartoon of himself usually up on the screen, so that makes him awesome. Um, so we are so glad that you could join us this morning and be here. Uh, we are happy you chose to be with us in C3 Church. Um, so here's the thing, uh, just quick introduction. Again, my name is Tony Johnson. I always forget that. Uh, I used to be in the ministry. I was a pastor at a church up in Tampa. Uh, it's been about two years since I've spoken, so uh, we're going to do this thing together. We'll get through this, I promise. Um, if you have seen me, I am a deputy in Collier County, um, and if you have met me while I'm at work, we won't discuss that situation. It probably wasn't a good one, um, unless you want to bring it up afterwards, and then we can have that discussion. But I promise this. If you come here and I see you at work, I will not bring it up on Sunday. You won't even, I won't even say anything. I'll just walk by you and give you a wink like, yeah, and then you know, all right? So let's go ahead and get this started. We're going to take a break from the rest of the story, and we're going to be in Ephesians today, and we're going to be talking about something that is very relevant to our time today. We're going to be talking about the story of your life, a.k.a. your testimony. Now, stories are a big, day, a big deal in today's culture, right? We have so much social media. When I was growing up, which seems like a long time ago now, like when you say you're born in 83, like that was, a, that's almost 40 years ago now. So like I'm getting old, but here's the deal. When I was growing up, you didn't have these social media. You didn't even have cell phones. We didn't have text messaging until I was in college. But now, you know, you went from MySpace to Facebook to Instagram to TikTok to, Twitter. you had like all these things. And it's all about telling a story. As a matter of fact, most of them are called Stories. You have Instagram stories. You have stories on TikTok. And everybody wants to tell a short snippet of their story of what's going on in their life. Well, at least what they want you to see and what they want you to know, right? So testimonies are important. They play a vital role in our life today. But oftentimes we overlook the importance of a testimony. We overlook the importance of the story. We overlook the God-glory-giving story that we all share in this room, if, you, if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior. And so today, we're going to look at it as Paul begins to walk us through what our testimony is for and how important it is. And so if you would, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and it says this, Paul says this, Paul says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in a heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the things we have done, so none of us can boast for it. For we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us so long ago. So what we need to set up for is what this letter is about. So this is to the church of Ephesus. It's the second most important city in, in Italy next to Rome. So this is the second most important city next to Rome. It's made the capital of Asia, which is Turkey today. Some say it's like 50 to 60,000 people. It's the home to the temple of Artemis, which is actually found in Acts 19 through 24. Ephesus was a city that had a lot of magic and idolatry. And the letters to the Ephesians often reflects that in Paul's discussion of spiritual forces at work in the world and the supremacy of Christ over them. So he gets into that. Actually, Ephesians 6 is where we begin to get into the armor of God. If you everybody, everybody hear anybody speak on the armor of God, that's in Ephesians chapter 6. But in 2, it's important. What do we need to know about what Paul is telling us in these 10 verses? These short 10 verses packs a lot of information from Paul. First of all, in our testimony, if you are saved in this room today, if you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, we all have an old man. It's our nature before we accepted Christ. And this is important. Paul is laying a foundation, and he's going to build on it, but first he needs to establish something. He needs to establish who you were before Christ. And we all have an old man. And so here's the deal about this old man. Paul gets into it. The first thing we need to realize is that an old man before Christ, we were disobedient. We were disobedient. And there's multiple reasons why. The natural man or the old man cannot understand the things of God. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. What this is telling us is that before you accept Christ as your Savior, you cannot be obedient to God. It's not possible. You don't understand the things that you can't be obedient to. I have kids, and you ever seen that look on their face when you're explaining something and they're not getting it? You're explaining something, they're like, like did you understand what I just said? Yeah. What did I say? I, I don't know, Dad. And so you have to re-explain. That's what it's like. There's no way for you to understand the things of God that you can be obedient for before you accept Christ. Your natural man is disobedient. This only, gets, this only gets worse. Paul is setting the stage. Like I said, the foundation. He wants you to understand who you were before Christ. So we are disobedient because we can't understand. We are disobedient because we are at war with God. Before we are saved, we are natural enemies of God. Romans 8, 7 says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. It never will. So we're disobedient because we can't understand it, and we're disobedient because we're actually enemies of God before we are saved. God hates sin. And before you're saved, there's no buffer. When he looks down on you, all he sees is sin, which makes us enemies of God before salvation. Again, this is not a pretty picture that Paul is painting. Paul is laying foundation that's going to be level, it's going to be smooth, because we're going to get to it in a minute, he's going to build on it. But the first thing you have to understand is the natural man before salvation, the old man, is not a good thing. It's not something that you can look on and say, oh, it's beautiful, it helps me to deserve this, it's this. No. Paul wants to destroy all visions of what we think we were before Christ. He wants us to understand exactly what we were before we accepted Christ. So the natural man serves a different master. Another reason he can't be obedient, he serves somebody else. John chapter 8, it's truly a great scene. I really encourage you to go read 8 and 9 because it is a great scene because Jesus is talking to the Jewish people. Here they have their Messiah. 
They have Jesus right in front of them. We often believe that if Jesus were teaching us, we would learn more, right? Have, we, have you ever thought that? We were like, if Jesus was talking to me, I'd learn more. I'd be more faithful if God directly talked to me. I'd understand what to do in life. If God came down and told me what to do, I'd understand what to do. And here, here, this is happening. This is legitimately happening. Jesus is alive. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. He's in the flesh. The Jewish Messiah that they've been waiting on is standing in front of them. And he's telling them exactly what they need to do. And they're fighting back. And Jesus smacks them down in only a way Jesus can. He says in John chapter 8, 34 through 44, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, get this, the devil. And you, do, you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Can you imagine Jesus is telling this to the Jewish people? These are God's chosen people. You can go back to the Old Testament we're working through. These are God's chosen people. You know what Jesus tells them? You, your father's the devil. You don't serve Christ. If you served God, if you loved God truly, you'd, you'd love me because I was sent from him. Even Jewish people were chosen by God before salvation. They were not on the same page. They had a natural man. So not only are we disobedient, but we are destined to follow our sin nature. See, before Christ, we are destined to sin. There is nothing else you can do. That's it. You are destined to sin. The Bible tells us, we just saw it in John 8. Jesus says we're slaves to sin. Not only in that verse in the Bible, that's not the only verse in the Bible that refers to being slaves to sin. And guess what? It was established in Genesis chapter 3. It was established in the fall of man. As by one man, sin entered into all the world. In Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned, or was it woman? I mean, that's probably a different message. I'll lay off that one. We heard happy wife, happy life last week. We're going to get more biblical this week. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You guys can see me later. My wife is staring me down from over here. She's staring me down. So here's the thing. We are destined to follow sin. There is nothing good we can do before Christ. And, and we try hard. We try very hard. We think that if we give to charities... We're doing good. We think if we help the poor, if we feed the homeless, if we are kind to people, if we show kindness, if we don't bully people, if we accept everybody, all of these things, the world wants to tell you all these things are good enough. The world wants to tell you that if you're a good person, it's enough. And the Bible is telling us it's not. The Bible is telling us no matter what good you're doing, you're destined to sin before Christ. It doesn't matter. That's not what we're hearing today, but that's what the Bible's telling us. So not only are we disobedient, not only are we destined to follow sin, but we are dead spiritually. In this short 10 passages, it's mentioned twice. Verse 1 says, once you are dead because of your disobedience and your many ways. Verse 6 says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So we're disobedient, we're destined, and we're dead. Paul is laying a very bleak foundation because he's about to get to the good stuff. So here's the deal. Some of us are afraid to share our testimony. Some of us are afraid to share this story. Why? Because we're ashamed, right? We've done things. 
So today I'm going to walk you through my testimony because here's the thing. It started out, uh, I went to church, an independent fundamental Baptist church. If you do not know what it is, some of you are laughing because you know. Like when I grew up in the church I grew up in, women didn't wear pants. I know that's controversial now. I don't believe it, but that's what it was. And if you're a guy and your hair came below your ears, that was a problem. We're going to have a problem with that. And so independent fundamental Baptist, King James Version only, that's it. I grew up in that. I got saved at a very young age. I got saved at the age of 13. Uh, I was my chaplain of my Christian school uh, in the eighth grade. Uh, so I, I did that. I surrendered to go into the ministry. I went to Bible college. I was living the life that God wanted me to live. I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. I went from Bible college to the ministry. And I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. I was staying on track. But I was 22, fresh out of college, very arrogant, it's amazing. At 22, for some reason, I thought I knew more then than I think I know more now, if that makes sense. As I've gotten older, I've gotten less wise in my mind because 22, I would tell you I knew the answer. You'd sit there and tell me something like, yeah, I got that. I just came out of college. I don't know if you know this, but I'll show you. And I believed that. And so my arrogance was a problem. It was a sin. See, there's nothing in this that says, after you receive Christ, you're a perfect person, and we're going to find that out. So in the ministry, after about a year, I decided, you know what? This isn't for me. I was like, I'm not doing this because I allowed that sin, that arrogance to creep in to believe that I knew what I knew. Nobody could tell me differently. I'm, I, listen, I don't care that you've been in the ministry 25 years. We need to do it this way. And so I left the ministry. I turned my back on God's will for my life. It didn't take long for things to spiral out of control. Once I left the ministry, I began to chase things like money and possessions and, and things like that. I, I, I would often measure my success uh, in the business world on how big my TV was. And you, it's kind of funny, but here, here's the thing. I started out with a 33-inch flat screen TV, and as I got a promotion, it got bigger. And as I got another promotion, it got bigger. And that's how I would judge. I'd be like, ah, oh, I got a nice car and a big TV, right? That's all I need. But here's the thing. I needed more. I needed more. I constantly needed to fill where I should have been serving Christ. And what that led me to, because there are consequences to sin. Pastor Gene discussed it uh, perfectly when he talked about, as you sin, you'll be disciplined by your father. And as I sinned and turned my back on God, things begin to go away. My marriage, right along the time that my firstborn son was turning close to one years old, I ended divorce. It was devastating because I sat there and gave my firstborn son the talk, the speech, the Superman speech as, I, as he's born in the hospital. I'm like, yes, the world will need you. You will have great authority. I loved it. I was awesome. Divorce, split custody. I only saw my son on the weekends. I ended up losing the cars that I worked so hard to gain. I ended up losing some of the TVs that I worked so hard to gain because I turned my back on what Christ wanted me to do. You see, I had let sin creep back in. I wasn't a slave to it. I had a choice, and we're going to find that out here in just a minute. See, before you're saved, you have no choice. You are destined to sin. After salvation, you have a choice to serve righteousness. So here's the thing. Why does he want us to know this? Why? Paul lays a foundation. We'll get back to my testimony in just a minute. Paul lays a foundation. It's important to understand who the natural man is. And you got to understand who's writing this. This is Paul. If you don't know the story of Paul, Paul used to be Saul. Paul was a bad, Saul was a bad man. 
Saul killed Christians. He was holding the coats when Stephen got martyred. Saul was so bad, they would send letters. Churches would send letters in advance, and Saul himself would send letters that say, hey, you either convert back to Judaism, or I'm coming in. They were afraid of Saul. Can you imagine that if you weren't saved, at your moment of salvation, if your name was so bad that God's like, I can't really have that name associated with me, we're going to switch it up, all right? We're going we're gonna to call you Paul. And I'm sure that's not the most creative name he could have come up with. He just changed one letter. I often wonder that. I'm like, was he just like, yeah, Paul, you're good. SP, there we go. So he went from Paul. So can you imagine God being like, your name is so, you, listen, we have to change your name. Paul had to change his name. So Paul is the one who's writing this. So Paul understands the sin nature before salvation because I don't think anybody in here has martyred Christians. Can you imagine Paul's testimony how many years, thousands of years since the New Testament's been written and his testimony is on display for everyone. Paul's not afraid to put in there because he's getting to why. We need to understand why. Why does he want us to understand who the natural man is? Because he wants us to understand that God in his rich and in his mercy and his love provides a way out. It's richness. Look at, look at the phrase there that he uses. He says, it's by the richness, the fullness of God's mercy and love. This mercy and love is demonstrated to us when we are still enemies of God. We're still enemies of God when this mercy and love is demonstrated to us. Christ died on the cross before you were born. Before you accepted Christ, he died on the cross for you. John 3.16, often quoted, not thought about. John 3.16 gets quoted so much and people, people lose the significance of it because Christ is dying. God sent his only son to die on the cross for your sin when you are a sinner, when you are disobedient, when you are destined, when you are dead, Christ died on the cross for your sins. God sent his only begotten son to die for you when you are an enemy. Listen, here's the thing. It often gets played off because it's God. Oh, it's, he knew Christ was going to be raised from the dead. It's, that's, we often play that off. But that's not correct. We understand that Christ on the cross took on all the sin. He became sin for us. He became the sacrifice for us. So much so that God could no longer look upon his son. This is the importance of it. The importance of understanding the natural man is so we can understand how great God's love and mercy is for us. And we're going we're gonna to explain a little bit what that does for us, what that drives us to do. So God is rich in his love and mercy. We also need to know that God frees us from the bonds of sin. Romans 6.18, now you are free from slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. God frees us from the slavery of sin. We can now serve righteously. Listen, once again, all the things we do before salvation, all those good works, they equate to nothing. It's what we do for Christ that matters. It's what we do for Christ that matters. See, we're going to come up on the new... Listen, we're getting towards the holidays. I said it two weeks ago. I'll say it again. There's going to be a lot of people telling you, hey, if you give to this, if you give to that, you're going to have the little Santa people outside ringing the doorbells. God bless you if you do that. You ring the doorbells and you give money to that and it makes you feel good about yourself because you're giving money to a good cause. That's not what it's about. That's not what this season's about. 
Listen, we're doing toy drives at work where we're going to give kids toys and they've never had toys like these. And that is exciting. That is great to do. I'm excited to give kids these things. But that's not what it's about. See, we put our hope and faith in those things and when they fail us, who do we turn to? And unfortunately, we think that these are the important things. We put our stock in this that we're doing something good for the world. I'm giving Johnny a Christmas like he's never had before. Toys are temporary. If you're a parent in here, you know that. There's the lost toy, like dead wasteland that you have. I have bought so many Lego sets and I've slaved at putting those together. And now they're all in a box, like in pieces. And I'm like, man, I spent four hours putting this Star Wars thing together and now it's in a box. Because why? It's temporary. It's temporary. These things are temporary. God frees us from slaves to the temporary. Sin is a temporary thing. It's a temporary satisfaction. God frees us from that, and he makes us slaves to something that lasts forever. Righteous works last forever. They go on. Listen, there's things that happen. I have seen, I wish I could have the testimony that would tell you these miraculous testimonies that people have. There are some people that have amazing testimonies. I can tell you this, that I have seen people give and not see the results of that giving. I've seen people give to Christ. I've seen people sacrifice up to the last dollar. I knew it was them doing it, and they'll never see the rewards of that. We had people who, in their will, gave the church money, and as they passed away, that church gained that money, and I've seen people accept Christ because of whatever donation went in. It helped bring somebody to Christ. They'll never know that. But it's eternal. That's an eternal, that's, that's going to last forever. So here's the thing. God brings us from death to life. We get to live. Our life is due to the life of our Lord and Savior. Christ's death atones for Adam's sin, and his resurrection provides life over death. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. We're given new life. This should be exciting. Listen, we should be excited in life. You know why? Because we have something that not everybody has. We have new life. We are raised from dead to life. We should be excited. We have a reason to live. We have a purpose And we're still getting to what we're going to do with that. Paul is now, he's laid the foundation about how terrible the natural man was before Christ, how bad it was. And then he's starting to build on pillars because he's saying, hey, as bad as it was, here's the deal. God, so rich in his love and mercy, one column. God frees you from the slavery of sin, another column. God raises you from death to life, another column. I'm laying, Paul is laying these columns down and he's going to bring us to the purpose of it all. But he's laying them down on the foundation that you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. There is nothing that you could do as a natural man that you could earn salvation. We are inherently sinful. I tell my kids that all the time. I said, we are inherently evil. When we are born, you don't have to be taught to lie. It doesn't happen. I have three boys. As cute as they are, they, they do it very naturally and sometimes very well. And if you have, yeah, listen, you look into those big brown eyes and you're like, I know he's lying to me, but I just can't help it. 
so cute. So here's the deal. We're naturally, we are born evil. I know we don't want to hear that. That's not what we're being told. We're not being told that you're evil. You're being told that, hey man, you're good just the way you are. We accept who you are. We accept your truth as your truth. You're good, man. No, the Bible tells us before Christ, there's nothing good about us. And yet, even though there's nothing good about us, Christ, so rich in his love and mercy, sent his son to die on the cross. Christ raises us from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Christ frees us from slavery to sin. And here's why he does it. He does it all for his purpose and his glory. See, that's where we struggle with sometimes. Your testimony is not your story. And that's hard. That's hard, right? It's hard in our culture to say, what do you mean it's not mine? It belongs to me. Nope. We are walking examples of God's grace, love, and mercy. Here's what I want to ask, and we're going to get to it in a minute. Are you a good walking example of God's grace, love, and mercy? Or are people not seeing that? Are we not sharing that testimony? Are we on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok recording videos of fantastic family Thanksgiving, which we all know is a lie. We've all seen like the new meme with the dinosaur that's like mom before Thanksgiving people come over and then the nice dinosaur from Toy Story that's like mom after. Yes, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. My mom is, is, she's probably watching this. I gotta be careful. So my mom is the greatest person. I love my mom to death. But my mom, before people got to the house on Thanksgiving, was I, like old school, in the nightgown, hair and curlers, cooking, in the kitchen. You're trying to sneak pieces of turkey. She's smacking your hand. She's like, get away. And she's like, you're afraid to go into the kitchen. You're like, I just need some water. I'll wait. I'll get water later. I don't need water. You're afraid of your mom. But the minute she goes upstairs and just like Superman, she comes back down the stairs. She's got the nice Thanksgiving attire on. The hair's done. And people come in the house. She's like, oh, welcome. You want to eat the good, with the good china? I never get to eat on the good china. But we put on the good show. And that's what we want to show people, right? That's the piece we want to show people. We want to show people the good. Selfie with me right now. But on the other side of that selfie, it's a mess. Here's the thing. I just told you that I went to Bible college. I, listen, I was the quintessential Christian, if you will. I set the stage. I was a model Christian until I wasn't. Until I wasn't. Oftentimes in the American culture, we are raised to believe if we work hard enough, we deserve the recognition, we deserve the power, we deserve the success. We deserve that. Because we put in the effort, right? My dad raised me to be that way. He's military. He's like, if you work hard, hard work pays off. I heard that my entire life. Hard work pays off. So we think if we do great things, good things, these all earn us something. Like, oh, oh, I'm giving at church today. Unfortunately, the church supports this message today too. The church supports the message that if you give, you can't outgive God. You heard that phrase? You can't, you can't outgive God? The problem with it is, is until God doesn't give the way you expect him to give. See, that's the thing. We believe that there's things we deserve, we earn by doing things that are good. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us the whole purpose of your life after Christ is to be an example for future ages. God wants to point to you. And Paul knew this. 
Paul's like, hey, the reason why I'm telling you how bad I was, because Paul says, I was the chief among sinners. But I want you to understand that because I want you to understand how great God's love, how rich in mercy he is, and what he was willing to do for me during that time. Listen, new life and hope, all wrapped up in the gift of salvation, cannot be earned or worked for. It is a gift. And unlike Christmas, there is no naughty or nice list. You, God died on the cross, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. There's no caveat there. There's no this group of people, that group of people, you who did this, you who did that. No. For God so loved the world. There is no naughty and nice list that this gift is not earned. There's nothing you could have done to get it. And here's the thing, there's nothing you're going to do after Christ that makes like that payoff. Oh, God's lucky that he gave me salvation because now I'm doing this. No, no, you never can do enough to pay back the sacrifice that God made on the cross. So what do we do? What do we do with all this information? Well, you tell your story, not just verbally. See, I went to college in Missouri if you're from Missouri or you've been to Missouri and you love Missouri, I, you are an amazing person. Missouri was four years of Bible college and it, was, uh, it, was, it wasn't terrible, uh, but it wasn't great either. Like, it doesn't snow in Missouri, it ices in Missouri. My first car accident, I'm getting way off tangent here. My first car accident was a piece of ice that fell down from a bridge and I drove over because I couldn't stop because it's icy. There's a car behind me. I couldn't go left or right. And so I had to roll over this piece of ice. And I thought, oh, it's just snow. Because I'm from Florida. And I've never driven in ice before. And I ran over this block of ice. And it shot up and just totally destroyed my radiator. And I was like, what just happened? I got attacked by snow. That's what happened. In my mind, I'm like, this is, I'm done with this. I'm done. And you would... It would College would not stop because of snow. So you walked in the snow to school and like you're freezing and it's not fun. It wasn't fun. But the thing that was, that was funny and annoying in, with uh, those who lived in Missouri is it's called the show me state. It's called show me state. And you used to say things and they would respond with one phrase. They would say, well, I'm from Missouri. You're going to have to show me. And I'm like, what? The sky's blue. Look up. I don't know what to tell you. What do you mean show you? It was annoying. They used to say it about everything. They'd be like, oh, I'm not having this discussion with you. But here's the deal. It applies to this topic today. It's not just verbally telling your story about Christ. It's living it. See, here's the thing. I had turned my back on Christ. I had left the ministry. I was seeking after success. I had paid the price. I was divorced. I was not seeing my son every day. I was paying the price for my sin. And that pushed me further away. But God, so rich in his love and mercy, saw fit. He brought an amazing woman into my life. She's sitting over there right now. That's my wife, Crystal. She brought an he brought an amazing woman into my life. And here's the deal. Crystal went to church without me. <gasps> it happened. I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader of my house. I'm in sin. I know I'm in sin. There's no way I'm going to church. And so Crystal would try to get me to go to church. Every once in a while, I'd find a church that she would go to, and I would kind of go for a couple weeks, and I'd be like, no. And I knew it. I was convicted the entire time. You know why it's hard for me to step in church? Because I knew I was wrong. Because once you accept Christ and you're no longer a slave to sin, you know you're sinning. 
You have a knowledge of it. There should be a part of you that goes, I shouldn't do this. I should do it differently. But then one day, September 2015, two weeks before that, I got this new position in Bank of America, and I was a rookie, and it was great, pay raise, but the schedule was terrible. I worked Sunday through, like, Friday. It was insane. And there was a schedule that came out Monday through Friday, but seniority gets the good schedules, right, for those that work in business world. Seniority gets them. So my boss comes around and goes, what schedule would you like? I'm like, well, I'd like the Monday through Friday. And she's like, yeah, right. And so I prayed a flippant, arrogant prayer, and I said, listen, God, you give me Monday through Friday, I'll go to church on Sunday. And God answered it. And I was like, what? She came back to me the next week. She goes, hey, I don't know how it happened, but you work Monday through Friday. I'm like, I I know how it happened. Now I'm going to church. I'm going to church Sunday. So we end up going to this church where my youth pastor from when I was a kid was the executive pastor. And the pastor, uh, the senior pastor was up on stage and he had this huge cage we did a lot of things very, like, ordinant. So, like, we had this huge iron cage. It looked like a prison cell on the stage. As a matter of fact, that's what it was. And so, and he said, we were talking about things you were locked in with, right? And he said, some of you in here today are locked into your past, and it's keeping you from serving God. And he slammed the gate closed. And when that clank happened, when that loud slam happened, I instantly knew God was talking to me. And in order to keep my wife from seeing a tear roll down my cheek as I was like, I'm not crying. I told God that day we would never be out of church again. We'd never be out of church again. As a matter of fact, I told him, we'll serve. We'll serve. The next week I volunteered. I got to do the coolest job ever. We had a massive parking lot that volunteers would park in the back. And I got to ride the golf. I got to drive the golf cart for the volunteers up to the front of the church. It was so great. Like in the morning, I was the first person you got to see. Hi, how are you? Good to have you here. Thanks for serving. Get in the cart. And then I tell them, like, buckle up. It's going to be the best ride in the park. And I would drive them up to the building. Now, what was weird is I never got return customers. They would not drive back with me. They're like, yeah, we'll wait for the next guy. You can go. But it was awesome. And so I did that, and I was like, I'm serving God. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And then God was like, nope, push me a little further. My executive pastor goes, hey, man, we need somebody to lead all of our children's student ministry. I'm like, no, that's okay. I'm good. Thanks. No, no, no. I'm giving. I'm tithing. I'm riding a golf cart. It's awesome. I'm, I'm serving you, God. No, no, no. No, no, no. God convicted me again, and within a month, I was leaving the bank industry and going to the ministry. I was then serving as a student pastor over a student ministry. My wife eventually became the children's pastor over the children's church. Because here's the deal. Here's what we have to do. We need to live obediently. We demonstrate our love for Christ. Did you hear him? He said, if, if you loved God, you would love me. That's what he told us in John 8. But in John 14, 15, and 21, he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, My Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. If you love me, obey my commandments. Obedience is an action. It's not something you talk about. It's something you do. So we're not just supposed to talk about our testimony. We're supposed to demonstrate it through living obediently. How about this one? Live joyfully. Joyfully. If you have salvation, you're aware of your sin, and you realize you don't deserve this amazing gift, this should make us joyful. I don't have time to get to the verse, the whole verse, 
But in 1 Peter 1, 3-8, it tells us this. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it brings you so much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. What does, some, what does the world lack today? Joy. We have a bunch of angry people. Whether you're on this side of the political fence or this side of the political fence or this side of the vaccine or that side of the vaccine, there's a bunch of angry people on either side. Christians were to be joyful. We have something we don't deserve. We have something that's been given to us that we couldn't earn, and it's an eternal gift of life. How can we not be excited? How can we not be full of joy? We're to live with hope which comes from our trust in God. Romans 15, 13 tells us, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we live our testimony by living obediently, joyfully, and with hope. As a deputy, what I see today is a world that lacks all three. I had a great example already lined up when I wrote this message, and I was working on it, and then this week happened. <laughs> this holiday week is crazy. A lot of crazy things that happened. But the one that sticks out the most started two nights ago. We have this, there's a state-funded uh, youth home for children that are removed from their parents and guardians, and the state is their guardian. The state is their garden. They live in this home. There's like a hundred of them there, maybe more. But they always run away from there, right? They always run away and we have to go get them. But this time, uh, it was, I believe it was Friday night, uh, they, this call comes out and it says, hey, there's these three little kids that ran away from this youth home for states. They ran away, so we got to go get them. So I was pretty close. So I drive up. Actually, they made me run like 400 yards. Oh my goodness. I was like, I'm in the radio. It must have sounded like a dying buffalo. I, they're running northbound. Help me. I need a can of corn. No, I'm just kidding. Did somebody bring me a Diet Mountain Dew? I'll be fine. Just give me a Diet No. So I'm running after them yelling, stop, 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 stop. They finally stop. I catch up to them. And I'm talking to them on the way back. And there's this one little girl. I won't give her name. She's 12. And she is the oldest 12-year-old you'll ever meet. Her mouth sounds like an adult. She acts like an adult. And she's in this home because mom and dad didn't see a reason to have a kid anymore. So she went to live with her brother, and her brother abused her, and so she got taken away by DCF. She's 12. And as I got a chance to talk to her, you could see the potential in her eyes from this little 12-year-old. Like, you could see the 12-year-old potential, like when I look at my son, I look at all three of my sons, I see that potential in their eyes, and I see this potential in her eyes, and I begin to talk to her, and it saddens me because she's living without joy. She tells, she's like, nobody cares. Nobody cares who I am. Nobody cares what happens to me. Take me to jail. Nobody cares. She doesn't have any hope. And here's the deal. They're getting to do all kinds of crazy cool stuff. They got handed like $500 to go in and buy whatever they wanted the other day. They're going on Christmas tours and things like that. They're going to see movies. And funny enough, none of this stuff seems to be helping because it's all temporary. 
See, she doesn't need somebody to give her gifts this year. She needs somebody to be an example of joy, hope, and love of a God who cares who she is and who knows who she is. That's what our testimony is to be. Every Christian she runs across should demonstrate that. And she should go, what do they have? Because that's what I want. What do they got? In a world today where everything doesn't make sense, where hope is being put in things like, you know, drugs, relationships, all these temporary things. Listen, if my wife only put her hope in me, she would feel bad by two hours. Her hope would be gone. She would be hopeless. She'd be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe. No, this is ridiculous. No, even married, I don't put my hope in my wife and I hope she doesn't put it all in me. I know she doesn't. I put my hope in the fact that I have accepted Christ as my savior. And that's eternal. Because when she fails to live up to my expectation or I fail to live up to her expectation, my hope is not lost because it's not built on that. See, this little girl's hope was built on relationships. Those are failing. It was built on temporary things. Those are going away. We need to demonstrate the eternal hope and joy of salvation. Why do we do it? To reflect the glory of God and his great sacrifice. Listen, Matthew 5, 14 through through 16 says, You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will, under, will praise your heavenly Father. Again, points back to God. Our testimonies have a purpose. Our testimonies point people to God. There can be no greater purpose. Whatever happens this season, this holiday season, whatever you give to, all those things are great. But there's no greater purpose than pointing to a God who loves before you love him, who provides eternal hope in a hopeless world, and who provides life when you are dead. So here's the question. Does our story reflect Christ or does it reflect us? Does our story reflect Christ or does it reflect our lives? Are our selfies about awesome Thanksgiving dinners, workout pics, not against those? I take a couple myself, as you can tell. But does our story reflect Christ or does it reflect us? Does our life reflect Christ or does it reflect the world? Do we walk around with no joy? I smile a lot because I know how much of a sinner I am. And I understand what God's done for me. I smile oftentimes when I shouldn't. There is somebody in the room who I work with who will tell you, Johnson smiles way too much. I will be on scene and it's like a bad scene and I'm like, what's going on? Like, what are you smiling for? I don't know, man. I can't help it. We got to demonstrate that joy. We should be living. This season is about the fact that Christ was born. The Christ who's going to die on the cross for our sins, who's, who's going to save us from sin, who's going to become the ultimate buffer between us and God. He was born. This is the season we celebrate that. Listen, I love Christmas trees. I love Christmas decorations. Our Christmas tree is up entirely too early this year. It's up. It's ready to go. It's great. That's not what it's about. It's about Christ. It's about the joy of Christ, not the joy of the season. Does our life reflect Christ? Here's the thing. 
Do you have a testimony today? If you're in this room and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. And if you have questions about that, there are people around this room who would love to talk to you. You can come up and talk to me. You can talk to Dustin in the back. Carol Lee's going to give uh, uh, announcements in a minute. You can talk to her. You can talk to Ed in front. There are people in this room who want to help you walk through that decision. Don't leave this room today without accepting Christ as your Savior. If you're in this room and you've accepted Christ, we still have time. Your story's not done. The book's not closed. The question is, when you leave here, are you going to live demonstrating joy, hope, and God's love? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. I think there's only one way to end this message, and that's in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. This is a prayer for the church of Ephesus from Paul. And it says, ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is the body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Amen.